Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, uh, how was Canada? Did you hang out with uh, Chuba Hubbard and company up there? Uh, more or less, yeah. No, Canada was awesome. We went to Banff, which is a little mountain town in a national park in the Canadian Rockies, and it was pretty much heaven on earth. Perfect weather. Uh, played golf up there. Golf course was unbelievable. Went out to a couple of scenic lakes that it's like the, the shoreline of the lake is mountains and then the water is glacier runoff. So it's just bright blue. Um, yeah, it was, it was great to get back to our daughter, but we definitely wanted to scoop her up and, and head back, uh, when we got home. So at some point we're going to have to take her so that we can show her all the sights. Did you enjoy the, uh, the temperature when you stepped out of the airport back in Oklahoma? God, talk about wanting to turn around and go back. It was, I mean, we Dude. had to walk in the car at the airport, and it was full-on sauna, and it was bothering me so much worse than before <laughs> we left. Because I just, I mean, was it five straight days um, where we were, like, wearing jackets? You know, it was, like, 68 degrees at the, the warmest part of the day. And then to come home to this has been, uh, it's been a sharp contrast, and I do not like it. That had to be like a shock to the system. I mean, it's been like 105 the last five, six days. It's been out of control. Uh, but yeah, so we we got football, man. Next week, Cowboys open the season uh, against Central Arkansas, Saturday, September 2nd. So we are going to preview the season. But first, let's hear from our friends, Chris's University Spirit, the one-stop Cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And uh, yeah, you're going to want the freshest gear going to game one up there in Stillville, and you're definitely going to want to be looking good all football season long. So we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast as always. Well, Colby, it's been a long, strange journey with Mike Gundy when it comes to the quarterback position. I mean, I don't have to list all the weird things that have happened over the years. The, the, uh, I, I saw, I saw something quote back when Zach Robinson was lighting it up in practice and Ended up taking Bobby Reed's job all the way through starting Clint Chelf and then yanking him to playing Robinson with a broken arm or a broken shoulder instead of Brandon Weed. And there's been a lot of goofy decisions going along uh, with Mike Gundy in the quarterback position, as we all know. And now Colby, he's saying there's a still open quarterback competition with one week to go in the season. The depth chart is out. There's a bunch of oars on there, left and right, including the quarterback position. So I ask you. Do you think Garrett Rangel could run out there first week one, or do you think this is just Gundy putting up smoke screens for transfer portal purposes and whatnot? I think Gundy listens to the pod and he's like, you know what? I can't give Carson any ammo for picking the wrong quarterback. If I just don't pick a quarterback, <laughs> so we'll just play everybody and see how that works. Um, no, I, I am starting to believe him that maybe they're all going to get some run, but man, I still would just be shocked if it's not Alan Bowman. Right out of the gate. I mean, he's a veteran. It seems like everything that's been coming out of camp all year, 
Uh, I mean, even the story we read earlier in the summer about, you know, the day that he came in and sat down and watched film with Casey Dunn for five hours, and that's how he decided he wanted to come to Oklahoma State. Like, all the signs seem to be pointing toward Alan Bowman being the guy, but you've also got Gunnar Gundy, Garrett Rangel, who've been around. They've been on campus. Um, I, I'd say they've been in the offense. There hasn't been a coordinator change, but it seems there's been a philosophy change and that they're going to be running out of a lot of different formations uh, this year, more fullback stuff, more tight end type stuff, the, the doing away with the cowboy back. Um, so I, I'll be very curious to see how they do it in week one, because you don't have automatic wins chalked up in week two or week three, by the way, with Arizona State and South Alabama. South Alabama is going to be a very good team this year at a lower level. So um, I, I think your only real cupcake in the non-con that's a guaranteed pencil-in win is week one against Central Arkansas. So uh, we'll see what the percentages are on Bowman, Gundy, and Rangel. But if I had to guess, and this is this is just a guess, but taking into all account all the information we've heard from the offseason, I'd say maybe a half for Bowman and then a, quart, a quarter each for Gundy and Rangel. You think that sounds fairly reasonable for a season opener? Yeah, I mean, shoot, this is – I mean, they've had – they're going to have a harder time in a scrimmage than they will against Central Arkansas. I mean, this is glorified exhibition. So that that game won't tell me anything in terms – even if they – Mike Gundy could run out Garrett Rangel first against Central Arkansas, and I would still believe that Alan Bowman is starting on the road at Tempe to play an Arizona State team that you know I hadn't given much thought to, but they have Jaden Rashada, quarterback, former five-star. Uh, Kenny Dillingham is an, an offensive coach. That game could be trickier than I originally had penciled in before the season, but make no mistake, Colby, do, does anyone really think that Garrett Rangel is going to take the first snap in Tempe? No, I don't think so by any means. And and Jaden Rashada, by the way, I don't love that he was named the starter at Arizona State. Uh, that name might not resonate with a lot of people, but a lot of people probably remember seeing a story about a kid that had a $13 million NIL deal with Florida fall through, so he got released from his letter of intent. That's Jaden Rashada. The, the kid is very talented. ESPN had him as the 31st overall ranked player in his class. And I, I was hoping that it would be the uh, pine kid from Notre Dame who transferred to Arizona state because you know what he is, right? He's average. He, he's just, he's going to be fine. Jaden Rashada has the scary thing. The scariest thing that an opponent can have at quarterback, which is unknown upside. He might totally flop or he might be a superstar. We don't know, but the unknown upside of the the opposing starter, starting quarterback in week two is a little bit scary for me. Um, one thing, Carson, I did like that the offensive line, no oars on the depth chart. We've got oars everywhere we can look on the depth chart, but none on the offensive line. Um, I think that that is, is encouraging to me, that those battles are sewn up and they know who their starting five are going to be. No, I agree. And I, I think there's more optimism this offseason surrounding the offensive line than really we've seen in the past several years uh maybe maybe even longer than that I, I think it's really been solidified by the additions they've made and really just we haven't heard any you know harrowing reports from you know the injury bug uh, affecting the offensive line so i think that to me stands out a lot colby i'm glad you brought it up i again i just i think there's more optimism around the offensive line than i can remember and that and to me just to, to wrap things up on the quarterback you don't go get a sixth, seventh year senior, whatever the hell Alan Bowman is these days, to to basically placate the future, and that is Garrett Rangel. I think you got to give Alan Bowman every shot 
in the first few games. And then if he falls on his face, you know, you got a young quarterback, Garrett Rangel, who showed some flashes last year. Then you then you go on from there. Uh, but I, there's no doubt in my mind Alan Bowman's quarterback. And I think if he stays healthy, he could have a really, really good season. And and I think I don't want to give away all of our, our picks and stuff, but if he stays healthy, Colby, I think Oklahoma State is going to shock a lot of people this year. And I don't mean shock like win the Big 12 and go to the playoff, but Colby, people think Oklahoma State is like going to go five and seven this year. People just are not even like factoring them into the Big 12 race. And I'm going to make a prediction right here and right now. I would, I would be far more surprised if Oklahoma State won six games than if they won the Big 12. Wow. That, that's how underrated Oklahoma State is, especially when, Colby, when you factor in the schedule, which we'll get to. I just think people are sleeping on Oklahoma State to a flat-out really insulting degree. And, and look, I get it. You know, I, we, I mentioned this on the pod, the last one you and I did. They don't have a big headlining quarterback coming back. Their record wasn't very good last year, and a lot of that was due to injuries, which people don't factor in the next year. I just think people have really, truly fallen asleep on Oklahoma State, despite a very, very, very favorable schedule. Yeah, the schedule is definitely favorable. Um, another thing that's favorable, I'm seeing a whole lot of redshirt seniors across the depth chart as I look here. Left tackle, Cole Birmingham, redshirt senior. The youngest player on your starting offensive line, Jason Brooks Jr. at left guard, redshirt junior. Center, Joe Mikowski, redshirt senior. Right guard, Preston Wilson, redshirt senior. Right tackle, Jake Springfield. Redshirt, senior. Your leading receiver, Brendan Presley, senior. Braden Cassidy, your fullback, senior. Ollie Gordon, sophomore, younger guy. Alan Bowman, redshirt, senior, 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 senior. This is an old veteran offense. You don't have a bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds that you're out there trying to get into the system and to get into the feel of college football and the speed of the game and what it means to not have a letdown Saturday against an inferior opponent because that can derail your entire season. Carson, I, I just think there's something to be said for the fact that this team is going to be fielding a ton of 22 and 23-year-olds instead of a bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds I think that that stuff matters, and Oklahoma State has got a, a very veteran-laden squad, uh, especially on the offensive line, much more so than, than we've seen in a while. The closer we get to the season, I get a little more bit more bullish. Um, I don't think six wins is really in the cards. I, I don't think that they can get that low. I also don't quite think that they're good enough to win the Big 12, but I think they probably fall somewhere in the middle. I, I think I'm probably um, looking at an 8-4 and four football team, and um, yeah, and, and I think that that would be a fine season, Anything more than that, and I think you're overachieving, and anything other than that, that under that, I think you're going to be disappointed. No, I agree with that, and I want to get your your locked-in win-by-win uh, schedule here in a little bit, but just talking about the offense, like I'm with you that it's been a long time since they've had this many upperclassmen, frankly, on the offensive side. I, I want to give you, or I want you to give me something that you're excited about on the offense this year, and I, I'm going to tell you mine. Can we ring the bell and you know hold the funeral for the cow cowboy back position? Can we ring the bell? Are we we're, we're finally done, Colby. Our long national nightmare is over. There is no more cowboy back, and and I think this is very important. And I'm not going to turn this into a Jelani Woods segment, so don't think that's coming. But Colby, whenever they came up with this position, when was that? It was like what twenty? It was after Whedon and Blackman. It was probably twenty. 13, 14, maybe 2015 era. 
Well, you know what's happened to the Oklahoma State offense since then? It straight up hasn't been very good. It hasn't been good at all, frankly, in some years. Because you got this like hybrid fullback slash tight end. It's a non-factor in the past. They didn't either well. They didn't catch the ball well. And they didn't block as well as an offensive lineman. And frankly, you get away from the spread concepts that you and I have just been hammering home, hammering home left and right. I think the last Cowboy back to have any success was Blake Jarwin. He quit playing football in 2016 in Stillwater. And so, Colby, I just think getting away from this Cowboy back hybrid position that was dead weight and going back to a traditional tight end, uh, and frankly, you can take the tight end off the field and put another receiver on there, and now we're really talking. But I just think Oklahoma State is going to rediscover their identity. They they fiddled around with this far too long, Colby, and I'm so excited to see that out of the offense this year. That's a good one. You're 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 dead on. I think it just in hindsight, it made Oklahoma State's offense easier to defend. You you had a guy out there that wasn't um just positionally wasn't giving you a lot. And and the defense didn't really have to worry about too much. And some of that maybe was offensive line necessitated. I don't really know, but I'm also happy to see it go. You asked me what I'm excited for. I'm excited for a full season of hopefully, fingers crossed, healthy Jaden Bray. I mean, some other guys have been getting some run this offseason, getting talked up. Uh, Taylor Shetron has been getting a bunch of, of hype coming in. Where, where's Jaden Bray's hype? I mean, the guy was hurt last year, but I still think that he is very much the real deal. 6'2", 200 pounds. I think that he has a chance. Now, I love me some Brendan Presley, and I think he's going to get some good run. But if Bowman is what we think he is, and if he's the starter and those things fall into place, I think he's going to be able to sling it around the yard a little bit. You mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was on air or off air when we were talking, that Alan Bowman is the only active quarterback in college football that has a 600-yard passing game. I think he might be able to sling it a little bit. And if you've got Jaden Bray outside at that X receiver slot, boy, I think a full season of healthy Jaden Bray could make a world of difference for this offense. And I wouldn't be totally shocked if we're sitting here on December 1st, 12 games in the rearview mirror, and we're talking about Jaden Bray being a huge difference maker and the best receiver, uh, maybe even the best player on this offense. I, I just, I think his upside is so high. And I think we've been robbed of seeing that due to injury. I'm really glad you brought him up. I mean, we're going to go through who we think is going to lead the team in receiving and, and rushing and, th- and things of that nature, but I'll, I'll just do my Jaden Bray, Bray segment right now. I don't know if he's going to lead the team in receiving or have a big year. All I know is I agree with you in that he has really untapped potential we haven't been able to see yet. I mean, he he's a lot like, and I, and I don't mean to use this comparison based on I think he's going to be a two-time Bolitnikoff award winner. But he's a lot like Justin Blackman. People forget Justin Blackman didn't play his freshman year. He he redshirted, which is crazy to think. And he was kind of a basketball player type, Justin Blackman. I think Mike Gundy was quoted back then saying, you know, he saw Justin Blackman playing basketball and offered him a scholarship. He he, he played basketball a majority of his life and only picked up football late to Jaden Bray. And then he gets he he has a really good game in the Fiesta Bowl, scores a touchdown, and then he gets hurt last year. We don't know how good this guy can be. And his potential tells us, Colby, you and I, that he could be wide receiver one, which and if you're wide receiver one at Oklahoma State, you're going to be all Big 12 and you're going to be pushing for all American honors. That's just that's just the history of that position at the school. So I, I'm totally with you. I just I'm going to have to see it to believe it. But I am very, very, very excited to see what Jaden Bray can do this year. He he's he's flat out he has 
kind of the it factor you're looking for at the outside position. He's got the size, the speed, and really just that untapped potential having played basketball the majority of his life where he's still kind of learning how to play. And then when that light comes on, man, it's going to be scary. Yeah, and also just I love the idea of a kid from Norman being Oklahoma State's best offensive player so they can all sit down <laughs> there and watch and say, now, dadgummit, how did we let that guy leave town? But uh, that's just a little little last bit of that Bedlam rivalry before that thing moves to the SEC. What about defense? Uh, what are you excited to see on defense? Uh, I mean, I'm excited to see Justin Kirkland. Obviously, that's a big one. Um, I, that's a I big think boy. That's a what big they list him on the depth chart as? Uh, six four three forty six is what he's listed at. Now, now he's listed at nose tackle as an or with Colin Clay. So Colin Clay, Justin Kirkland are listed as the ors. Colin Clay is listed first. Now, I would imagine you, you're running this three three five defense. You're going to be rotating your defensive tackles through. There's not going to be one guy. Uh, I mean, it's going to be 105 degrees for the first game. Gundy said today it's going to be 150 or 160 on the field. I think that that might <laughs> be a little bit of Mike Gundy hyperbole, but I do think it'll That's be some Gundy math right there. I think it might be every bit of 125 on the field though, 130 even, depending on where the sun's at. Uh, six o'clock game, I believe. So you're going to be rotating those guys through a ton, but that's been the big name in the off season because that's the big body. Um, I, I'm curious to see what Nathan Latu can do at defensive end. R really for me, Carson, it's up front. Th that's where my concerns are. Uh, you know, you've got Justin Wright in the middle at linebacker. You've got Colin Oliver dropping back to that spot. Xavier Benson, Kendall Daniels on the back end, Trey Rucker, Lyric Rawls, guys we've seen, right? Corey Black, Cam Smith at corner, guys that we've seen. I think that the defensive line is a huge unknown. We saw what happened in Manhattan last year. We saw what happened in Lawrence last year. Things that can never happen again. Things that can never happen again. So I am uh, really dialed in on the defensive line for game one and really throughout the non-con to see what these guys look like because uh, that unit has to be better, and I expect that it will be. Yeah, and I, I think they really have nailed it with – I say they, I mean Mike Gundy with his hire on defense, Brian Nardo. I'm really excited to watch a 3-3-5 defense. To me, you know, we always have talked, Colby, about like the spread offense and why it, why it fits Oklahoma State because they're not getting, you know, Big Ten style recruits. They're not going to just, you know, physically overwhelm teams. So what do you do? You spread them out. And that was just a, just a genius maneuver by Mike Gundy to go to the more spread out offense from the Les Miles era. I, I kind of, now this could be just a trend of, you know, 2023 going to the three, three, five with, you know, playing some three safety looks, but man, I, I kind of think this, this defense is built for what Oklahoma state is and how they recruit. I really do. Cause you just, you don't have to get as many of those interior defensive linemen. They were fortunate to get the Justin Kirkland man. Who's as big as a house at six, four, three forty six. I think they probably cut a few pounds off there just to make it look better in print. But you know what I'm saying? I, I, I just think this defense fits their recruiting style. It fits kind of the style of the Big 12. I just think it was a brilliant maneuver by Mike Gunny. So what I'm looking for is not only just that, but has there been a defensive player, Colby, we've been more excited to watch coming into a year than, than a Kendall Daniels? I, I'm struggling to remember. Maybe – Maybe Malcolm Rodriguez coming back last year. He had a good year the year before. I mean, I, I don't think there was nearly the hype for him as as he turned out to be. Maybe an Emmanuel Ogba coming off some of the years he had, but the, the list is very short. And I oh. think Kendall Daniels has a chance. I mean, he had, what did he have last year? Two or three picks? Three, three picks, I think, off the top of my head. But 
imagine him playing 12 games, 12 full games this year. What what he'll do just not statistically, but just all over the field. I, I am crazy excited to watch Kendall Daniels this year. And I think he could have, you know, an all big 12 first team type of year. Yeah. In terms of pure hype, I mean, there've been some guys on that side of the ball that you just know, like, okay, that, that guy's going to play in the NFL. You mentioned Ogba, uh, Justin Gilbert's another one, but we're, we're kind of going back a little ways. I don't think that we knew coming into Malcolm Rodriguez final season, two years ago. I don't think that we knew that Malcolm Rodriguez was going to be arguably the best defensive player in the nation. That was kind of, we knew he was good. We knew he was potentially great. I don't think we knew he was that great. Uh, I don't think we knew he was stick around and be, you know, on the NFL on the field in the NFL day one uh, on the 53 man roster and getting snaps. So um, yeah, Kendall <laughs> that's Dane, true. The, the hype around this guy, I mean, six, four, two is what he's listed at back there at safety. He's a red shirt sophomore. Now I, I think he's got serious NFL build build and serious NFL talent and have that guy on the back end of your defense. He's a good tackler. I mean, if, if anything gets past uh, Xavier Benson, you know, Justin Wright, those guys in the middle, they get past those guys. They're probably not getting past Kendall Daniels and he's hanging out back there playing center field, uh, reading the quarterback. He, he's a year older. Um, I'll, I'll be very curious to see how he operates in this three, three, five, because I, I think that he's going to be an absolute beast. And I mean, he, he's the guy everybody wants to watch. You show up to watch Oklahoma state when the defense comes on the field, you're keeping your eye on Kendall Daniels. Uh, and that's the way it should be because he is, he, he's, he walks the walk after, uh, after talking the talk. So I'm very excited for Kendall Daniels on that side. Yep. He's special. So that's, that's two number fives. We've mentioned Jaden Bray switched to number five, which he you did. know, me, Colby, I'm just a sucker for single digits. So n- number five is the number to look out for. Uh, you know, I respect Dijon Stribling. Dijon Stribling coming out there, wide receiver, rocking number 88. Classic, classic Dallas Cowboys uh, receiver number, uh, bringing it to Stillwater. I love a I love a good classic 88. Brendan Presley's wearing 80, and then you've got Jaden Bray at five. I almost feel like he should have taken like 84 or something so that he could just stick around with the other guys in the 80s. Yeah, like as much as I am a single digit fan, like that's one thing I don't like about the NFL getting away from it. Like, don't you want all your receivers in the eighties? Like we're just so used to that. It's gonna take some getting used to. But I mean, we're obviously used to it in college, but there is something traditional about an old eighty eight outside in there. Uh, yeah, big time there is. The, the NFL has gotten really weird. I uh, I watched a clip the other day of Jadavia and Clowney, and he was wearing number 24. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. What? He yeah. was? Yeah, Jadavia and Clowney's wearing number 24 <laughs> this year for the Raven. I'm like, what are we doing here? This has just gotten maybe a little bit too goofy for me in the NFL where anybody can wear any number they want. That's goofy. All right, you ready to make some picks for uh, the season? Let's do it. Uh, offensive MVP. I think there's, you know, a very short list here of guys you could list, but there's several ways to go. Which way are you going? Uh, I'm going to go not quarterback because oh. there is some uncertainty. There is some uncertainty. Uh, I, I thought about quarterback, decided to go away from it. We've been hearing about the running game at Oklahoma state. It's going to be different going to more of a gap scheme. Um, I think that they are really going to emphasize a better running game in 2023, Ollie Gordon's that guy, Carson. I, I think Ollie Gordon is that guy. I, I don't think he's going to have a Chubert Hub, Chuba Hubbard season where he uh, leads the nation in rushing, but I think he's going to be really, really good. So offensive MVP, I don't think I'm totally sticking my uh, my neck out on the limb. I'm going to go Ollie Gordon. Over, under 800 yards rushing. Over, over. Oh. Last, last year, leading rusher was... Uh, 
in the mid 500s. Why am was I that, forgetting? Uh, Dom Richardson, maybe? It was Dom Richardson. Yeah, he had like 541 yeah. rushing yards last year, I think. Okay. Um, I, I think Ollie Gordon easily flies past that. I think you might have Ollie Gordon and Jaden Nixon um, fly past that, but we'll see. We'll see how it works out. There's three guys listed as Nor at, uh, at running back, too, on the depth chart with Gordon, Nixon, yeah. and Elijah Collins as well, redshirt senior. Okay. I can get behind that. I, I'm with you. I, I think Ollie's going to have a monster year. I mean, now – and I, I think a large part of that's because the offensive line's healthy as of week one. And I just think that they're they finally figured out, Colby, that the zone scheme was just was just not working that well. And I think Mike Gundy's going back to what he knows. And, you know, there's they're not gonna run exclusively no zone uh running schemes. They're still gonna mix it in. But I just I think Mike Gundy had a real had a lot of soul searching to do this offseason. I think he's made some good hires, and I think he's he's obviously ditched the cowboy back position. You know, Colby, you and I were, and everyone else, we were so disappointed with how the year went. I think we wanted to see, you know, a lot of our focus and attention was on Casey Dunn and the lack of the the offense stinking. It it appears Mike said we're going to keep Casey Dunn and we're gonna we're gonna get back to what I know, and that's getting these these walk on fullbacks off the field, aka cowboy backs, and we're gonna run the ball how I know how to run it since since the nineteen eighties. <laughs> it's worked pretty good over Mike Gundy's tenure. He, running the football is really what Oklahoma State's been able to do best over the course of Mike Gundy's run. So, no, I, I think Ollie Gordon is going to have a good year because they're getting back to their bread and butter. And, uh, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. But I'm going to go with uh, Brennan Presley. I mean, the last time we saw a little guy as a wide receiver be like the best player on the team, I think Brennan Presley's poised for a Josh Stewart type of year. Do you know what Josh Stewart did his uh, sophomore year? All he did was 1,300 yards receiving, eight receiving touchdowns, or seven receiving touchdowns, eight from scrimmage. So he had one rushing touchdown in there, and then he had a he might have had a return in there. But you don't think of a of a little slot guy being that prolific of a wide receiver. But I just think certain players, Colby, when they're the best player on your team, and I, I certainly think Brendan Presley is that, you just find ways to get him the ball. I mean, you and I have talked about for years just the extension of the running game, those quick passes that seemingly fits what Alan Bowman did at Texas Tech. I just think they're going to pepper Brennan Presley. I mean, Colby, I think there's drives where he could have five catches on on just little on those little short, you know, just dump not not necessarily dump offs, but those you know extensions of the running game. And I I think they're just going to force feed him the rock, and he's. For me, he's the best player on the team offensively. I hope you're right. I really do. I, I think we've seen at times um, there have been games where Brennan Presley just just gets fed the ball over and over and over again, and it's like, okay, yes, keep doing more of that. And then there's games where it's like I'm, I'm watching, it's middle of the third quarter, and I'm like, where is Brennan? Is he playing? Is he out there? And, and I don't know if that's um, what, what the offensive scheme was. I don't know if that's Spencer not being able to get it to him in the right situations. Uh, I really don't know what the reasoning is for that, but I, I just the week in week out consistency in terms of his usage hasn't necessarily been there. So I hope that we see more of that this season, because I think he absolutely has the capability to be that guy, that 1300 yard, eight touchdown guy, uh, defensive side, Carson, defensive MVP, you lead us off this time. I'll try not to copy. Yeah. I mean, do, are we picking someone besides Kendall Daniels or are we just going with the obvious? I'm picking someone besides Kendall Daniels. I, I don't think Kendall Daniels is going to lead the defense in tackles. I'm picking who I think is going to be the leading tackler on the defense. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were doing defensive MVP. My bad. 
Well, I, I think the leading tackler is also going to be the. Uh, oh, okay. Double doubles up. All right, I got you. Oh, so you're going Kendall then? I'm going. Yeah, I'm going Kendall for all the reasons I listed. I just, you know, I I mentioned a few pods ago, like when Des Bryant showed up on campus, you're like, whoa, OSU doesn't get guys that look like that. I mean, Kendall Daniels was a top 100 kid. He had he had committed to A and M. OU wanted him really bad. That's the type of player you have who look – I mean, he just fits this defense to a T. I mean, he's like a 6'3", like, you know, just hybrid. He could play any position on the field pretty much. He's just he's just kind of those one-of-one one type guys that if he stays healthy, he, he's just going to make too many flash plays and too many game-impacting plays for me to pick anybody else. Yeah, and I have no problem with that. This is probably just uh, me trying to be different because I do believe wholeheartedly in Kendall Daniels. But I think whenever you play a little bit further away from the ball, it gives you just a, a bit fewer opportunities to make plays. You play a little closer to the ball, like my guy Xavier Benson, who I think is one of the leaders of this defense. He really developed last year into one of the best players on that side of the ball. Mason Cobb is gone now, and I think Xavier Benson is going to fill in uh, a lot of that role and take a lot of that work. Just in the three-three-five, I think you're going to have Kirkland uh, and those guys eating up space in the middle. And I, I think that Xavier Benson is going to be waiting back there if they if they get through Walter Scheid and Clay and Latu and those guys. I think Xavier Benson is going to be waiting there. And I think that he is poised to have a big season. Uh, Gundy's raved about his leadership, about his improvement since the bowl game. I think that he has a chance to be a, I don't want to say a, a Malcolm Rodriguez type at linebacker, but I mean, the guy that played across from Malcolm that year, Devin Harper. I mean, I think we could see Xavier Benson have that type of season because I think he's really talented. Uh, I think every every indication, everything we've heard about him is that he's put the work in and that he wants to be great. So I'll, I'll take the linebacker. Uh, maybe it's just me trying to be different, but I think he's poised for a big season. Yeah, I, I kind of view the run or the the linebacker position kind of like I, I kind of view it kind of like the running back position in that I think there's just going to be a solid rotation you're gonna have your starters but I kind of think they might play the hot hand at linebacker and we all know Colin Oliver for whatever reason doesn't play every snap and they've they've seemingly rotated him in and out frequently there's been a lot of buzz on Nick Martin over the over the summer uh pushing Justin Wright so I think those two guys could interchange a lot Jeff Robertson right there with Xavier Benson I that's that's a good problem right I mean you got a lot of guys that can play and I think I think they're going to just roll them all out there and they're going to rotate a bunch with the three, three, five. And I think, you know, you get to conference play. I think they're going to have it all graded out and then kind of go from there as far as who's going to be the locked in starters at linebacker. But I think it's much different than in years past Colby, where you just pencil these three guys in they're playing until they get hurt. You know, I, I think with this defense, with the new DC, uh, it's a fresh clean slate for all of them. And that's, that's a good problem to have. I think so. I think a lot of guys are going to play at that position. Yeah, you might be right. I, I think Xavier is the uh, Xavier is is how it's pronounced in the pronunciation guide here. Xavier, that's going to be a little difficult for me to get used to. Um, I think he is the one guy at that position that's going to be mostly a three-down player. I think the other guys are going to rotate a lot. I think we'll see a lot of Benson out there. So yeah. uh, what do we got next? Uh, rushing leader, I think we both agree it'll be Ollie Gordon, but I did want to say uh, Jaden Nixon is – a guy I I'm really excited about. I mean, we, we saw some of his flashes last year with his breakaway speed. I mean, I was begging for him to play more last year, Colby. I was like, what? It's like, if you can't block anybody, just get him out on the edge. And finally, 
they started doing it a little bit, but not not nearly as much to my liking. They were just running Dom Richardson up the middle the whole the whole season. It felt like, but I I, I think you're going to see a lot of Jaden Nixon in the passing game. But no, I mean, if this season is going to be a success, Colby, I think Ollie Gordon's your leading rusher. Uh, yeah, I think Ollie's the leading rusher. I, I love Jaden Nixon. I think he gives you a, a great bit of explosiveness. I am curious as to what Elijah Collins looked like. It's obviously looked good enough to have an or beside his name on the opening depth chart. So uh, might see a, a three-headed monster back there. But I would expect Ollie Gordon to get, I don't know, um, 60% of the backfield work with the other guys splitting the other 40, maybe even 70 with the other guys splitting the other 30. I just I think Ollie's that good. So, yeah, I definitely think he'll be the leading rusher. Leading receiver? Leading receiver, this one's tough. Uh, are we going just yardage here, catches, a combination of yardage, uh, catches, take, and take your pick on Take your pick on both. I think that um, – I think Brennan Presley will lead the team in receptions. I think Jaden Bray will lead the team in receiving yards. I think Jaden Bray is going to have more stuff up the sidelines. I think he's going to have more deep routes. Um, I think – Presley's going to be a little more of the underneath stuff, the quick slants, um, getting, you know, like jet flip type stuff. I think they're going to find more ways, more unique ways to get the ball in Presley's hands. But I think Bray is going to be your more prototypical X receiver uh, who just eats up those those contested catches on the outside. So I'll go uh, Brendan Presley leads the team in catches. Jaden Bray leads the team in yards. I like that a lot. I think I think Presley's a lock to lead the team in receptions. I mean, again, Josh Stewart had a 101 his sophomore year. I I kind of expect a similar output. If if probably probably even more of that they throw the ball more now than they did back then. So I'll, I'll go with Presley on receptions. I really want to pick Jaden Bray because of that potential we've all seen, but he hasn't quite done it yet. I've just heard too many good things about Stribling. I think he steps right in and becomes the Tay Martin type, not not just because he went to Washington State, but kind of fills that you know outside receiver position. And I, I've just heard too many good things, and he's he's too more he's he's far more proven at this level. Uh, and that's no fault of Jaden Bray; just hadn't been able to stay healthy. But uh, I'll I'll go with the the wild card. I'll go with Stribling, the transfer, who's gotten a lot of buzz. If uh, if I'm wrong about Bray, I hope it's the I hope it's because Stribling is the guy. I hope it's because Stribling is a dude, and not because we're dealing with injuries again with Bray. Because that would be a good problem for Oklahoma State's offense uh, if Jaden Bray ends up being your third best receiver. And we haven't even mentioned Talon Shetron, who was a five star all everything receiver, probably the highest rated receiver since Dez. Uh, I mean that's pretty that's pretty solid receiving core. You got. Presley, Stribling, Bray, and Shetron. Does that, does that do anything for you? Uh, that does a lot for me, yeah. Receiver depth is back at Oklahoma State. I think we were worried about it a couple of years I mean, ago. Shetron could be the best of all of them. He could. For all we know. He could. There, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. Bray, all the injuries. Stribling uh, is a transfer. Shetron could develop. Yeah, there's um, – we, we could either be very right or very wrong with these predictions because there's a number of ways that it could play out throughout the season for Oklahoma State at receiver. But that depth is good because every year we see guys go down with injuries. It's just – it's inevitable. Um, and it helps to know that you've got more really talented guys behind waiting to step up. Uh, tackle leader, I already got that from you. I'm going to go with um, – gosh, it's hard to go with one of the oars. <laughs> but – Whoever wins the job between Wright and Martin, I think that's been a pretty heated battle at linebacker. I think whoever's on the field more out of those two is that a cop out? I'll go. I'll go with one. Of, I'll go with uh, Wright Martin. I'll hyphenate him. <laughs> Wright Martin. I think. Uh, look, Wright. Whenever he was at Tulsa, he led or shared the lead in tackles 
the last three seasons when he was with Tulsa. Now that's a different level of football. I understand that, but it's not a vastly different level of football. It's not like he's coming from UCO. He's coming from Tulsa. It's a good program. Um, I think that he'll spend a lot of time on the field. I just, I feel confident that Xavier Benson at his position is just going to be taking a ton of snaps. I think he's going to be playing a higher percentage of the snaps than any other linebacker. And at that position, especially in a three, three, five, I think he's just going to eat up tackles. That's fair. Uh, what about sack leader? Uh, you got a couple candidates here. Obviously, I think Colin Oliver would be the pick if you know how much he's going to be on the field, but uh, we don't quite know that yet. Yeah, we don't quite know that. and They're dropping back to the linebacker position, but obviously you're not just going to rush three uh, on every on every down. I, I still think I'm going to go Colin Oliver. We, we've just seen the talent and the potential there, and it, it's just it's too obvious. It's kind of the don't miss a layup. Like, are we really sitting here and the the – freshman All-American that had 11 sacks, brought down Caleb Williams to, to win Bedlam too. You're like, we don't think that guy's going to be the sack leader. I think last year was a weird year for Colin Oliver for whatever reason. He just couldn't recapture that magic of his freshman year. But I still think the talent is there, and I think that they're going to be bringing him a ton off the edge. So I'm, I'm going to try not to miss the layup here. I, I think it's going to be Colin Oliver. Man, I think that's the pick. I just, I'm kind of curious, one, how much he's on the field, which I've mentioned, but Two, how does the formation shift affect him? He's not going to have as much free reign off the edge, or is he's he going to have a much more, much more body to run through in a three-three-five than he did in the old traditional, you know, four-down lineman to kind of protect him there on the outside. I really like Nathan Latou. Uh, you know, his brother played at Bama. He's hadn't played a ton, but gosh, how many times Colby last season were you and I like Latou just makes plays when he's out there. Uh, he has a personal goal of a 12 plus sack season. I might go with the wild card. I'm going to go with Nathan Latou just to be different, but I, I really like him. He just, he hadn't been on the field a ton, but man, he's, he's made an impact when he's gotten a chance. Yeah. I, I don't hate that at all. The next one is uh freshman of the year for Oklahoma state and Carson, not a lot of options there. This is a veteran laden team. There are very few freshmen uh, to go with here. I think we're going to wind up on the same guy. We've already talked about him. Who you got? Well, I think you got to go with Talon Shetron. I mean, you mentioned it, not very many options, but more than that, I just, he's the next guy in line. I mean, I always remember uh, Tywin Wallace. I mean, OSU was friggin' loaded when he was like a freshman or sophomore. Like they had all those dudes. We remember James Washington on down the line and they got him on the field because he was that freaking good. And Shetron got on the field last year. He got banged up the one of those few times he was on the field. But I think that just shows you how good he is. They're like, we got to get this freshman on the on the field because he can make plays. So I I, I kind of think he's a sneaky, sneaky kind of under the radar guy that on Saturdays people from the rest of the Big Twelve are like, who the hell is Shetron? Who's that guy? <laughs> he looks the part. So yeah, I, I think that's the that's the pick. Um. Yeah. I. I've got to go Shetron too. He just, the talent's too much. Um, the opportunity, I think, will be there. Now, he's not listed as a starter, but he's going to get his chances. You're going to see guys rotating through. Uh, it's going to be hot. You're going to be running a lot of plays. I think he's going to get some time on the field. And if he impresses, then, I mean, that leaves you in a situation where you've got Stribling, Shetron, Bray, Presley. You've still got Blaine Green, who we haven't even talked about. Um, Rashad Owens, who had, who had never been a star, but has been very solid um, as just a, a guy to get out there and spell the starters and still give you productive minutes and productive snaps. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I'll go with Shetron as well. All right. 
what do we have next here? Uh, newcomer. Newcomer. Newcomer, and then we'll pick the record. Um, I'm going Alan Bowman. I think if he stays healthy, Colby, I think he's easily going to be the Big 12 newcomer of the year. Uh, and I, Frankly, I think they need him to stay healthy. Look, as much as I like Garrett Rangel's potential, uh, this season's headed for a disaster if Alan Bowman gets hurt. It's, there's no two ways about it. And if he's healthy with the supporting cast we've mentioned at receiver, uh, a healthy offensive line with veteran-laden players, and a freaking Ollie Gordon at the helm, ooh, buddy. This is why I'm pretty bullish on OSU coming in this year, way more than the rest of the, people, rest of the country. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm going with Bowman. I, I think if this team reaches its expectation, uh, reaches its ceiling, this team reaches its ceiling if Alan Bowman's really good. That's how it happens. Uh, I think that he's the guy at quarterback. I do think that they're going to give those other guys some run, particularly in week one. We'll see what it looks like against Arizona State and South Alabama, both games that you'll have to play. Probably not your best game to win, but you'll have to play well to beat Arizona State, to beat South Alabama. You won't be able to go out and lay an egg and beat those teams. You'll have to play well. So uh, I think Bowman's the guy at quarterback, and if this team's going to be good, he's going to have to be the guy at quarterback. So I'll take him as the newcomer as well. Okay, I like it. Uh, let's just go through the schedule, shall we? It, the the moment it. has come. It's that so, time. Go so game by game. Central Arkansas, win. Win. I don't know. Going to Tempe, and again, I, I mentioned this, Colby. I'm a little more – this is this is giving me vibes. Remember when a young West Lunt and a kind of an unknown team similar to this went out to Tucson, played Arizona? Win. Yeah, okay. I was trying to – Build up some drama there. Two, <laughs> two and oh, I, I agree. Uh, no, I just, I, I am a little bit scared of Arizona State because of the unknown upside of Rashada. That being said, Oklahoma State operationally from a program level is just so light years ahead of Arizona State. <laughs> um, I trust Oklahoma State much more that's in that. So, that's a great way to put it. They're, they're a clown show over there. Now, they do have a new coach. Maybe he knows what he's doing, but I don't think he can turn it around that fast. But you're right. Arizona State hired Herm Edwards. <laughs> oh boy they, they literally hired herm edwards to be their head coach like what a clown show. didn't they have assistants like um throwing games or giving away playbooks or something i, I don't remember the <laughs> yeah, exact there was something crazy going on a disaster there. it's it's hilarious just to think back of all the shenanigans that have been going on there oh man yeah i, I for those reasons too i'm going i'm going to and oh uh you worried about south alabama i think a lot of people are getting nervous about south alabama way more than arizona state I'm not worried about South Alabama. I'm aware of South Alabama. <laughs> you see South Alabama on the schedule, and it's like, oh, cool, a 66-7 to 7 win, get a little tune-up before conference play. <laughs> that is not this South Alabama team, so um, I'm not concerned. Oklahoma State should be better than South Alabama. Oklahoma State should win that game. But I'm very aware that South Alabama could put up a fight, and you're not going to be able to play bad football and win that day. You're going 3-0? and I'm going 3-0. and What was their record last year? Who's that? South Alabama? Yeah. Good question. I haven't looked up their uh, look it up now. record. But like people are like people are like on the on the message board on the, the chamber on Pistols Fire, and people are like saying they're gonna lose that game. Ten and three. Ten and three, seven and one in conference. They uh <laughs> played UCLA in the non con in LA, lost by a point. They beat Central Michigan by two touchdowns. Uh they played a pretty good Louisiana team a year ago. They beat them. So yeah, so pretty not, good. No cupcake, yeah. No cupcake whatsoever. That being said, I'm I'm going three and zero. Back to the place that shall not be mentioned, Ames, Iowa, uh, to play Iowa State. 
Look, Matt Campbell should have taken a good job when he had a chance. Iowa State stinks. I think OSU starts 4-0. Yeah, I, I think that he botched that one as well. I think Oklahoma State wins that game. I think I think Iowa State's best days, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could circle back around, but um, they couldn't get it done with Hakeem Butler and and David Montgomery and Brock Purdy and all those guys they had. I don't think they're getting it done this year. Yeah. All right. Uh Second conference game of the year, Kansas State at home. To me, the biggest game, not called Bedlam of the year. What do you got? Friday night game. You noticed that, right? I did notice that. That's gonna that place gonna be bananas. It is gonna be bananas. Friday night game. Um, I do think that place is gonna be bananas. I just, there, I, I don't. This Oklahoma State's not a twelve and zero football team. Um, you, you got to pick some losses somewhere. Kansas State was really good a year ago. I think they'll be good again. I, I'll take Kansas State to win in Stillwater on Friday night. 5-0. Woo! This is uh, – you're bullish. You said you were bullish, but all right, 5-0. Look, look, Kansas State just – they had the magical run, right? I mean, that was a magical season. I don't think people were factoring in the lo- the loss of Deuce Vaughn. They lost their Darren Sproles 2.0. That guy almost single-handedly won a few games for them. And I, I'm just not a big Will Howard guy. Look, I know he lit OSU up, and they had a good year. I just – Kansas State doesn't scare me. They don't. And I think OSU's going to be pretty damn good, and they get the home field on a Friday night. I'm going, I'm going OSU. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I wanted to, but I just I know I can't sit here and pick them to win all twelve. And I was looking down the schedule. I'm like, where are these losses coming? Um, I don't think one of them's coming the following week. I think they handle business at home against Kansas. Yeah, that's a game that I'm I'm glad they play at home because again, Kansas started the year what six and zero last year. I, I'm glad that one is uh, in Stillwater, so I'll, I'll give them a win there too. So I, I got undefeated right now. Yeah, you're uh, you're feeling froggy at West Virginia on the 21st. When talk talk about two programs that like I'm not saying West Virginia is Arizona State. They just they've done nothing in the Big 12. I mean, they they got close a couple times with Dana to beat OU and having a chance to maybe go to the the title game or have a chance to win the Big 12, but they've just seriously regressed almost every year and they just they don't that, that used to be a scary road trip, Colby. It's just not anymore. I'm, I'm going with a win. Yeah, West Virginia's not any good. Um, that, la- that that game last year between Oklahoma State and West Virginia was truly three and a half, four hours I'll never get back. That was unbelievably bad football on both well, sides. It, it was embarrassing. West Virginia couldn't, like, beat OSU worse that game. OSU was like, barely a football team by then. Yeah, you're not wrong. It was an absolute skeleton crew for Oklahoma bad State. they are. Yeah. Get out of yeah. here, West Virginia. I, I think Oklahoma State wins in Morgantown. Um, boy, we're – we're talking up a lot of wins on this schedule. After you go to Morgantown, you host Cincinnati we're, the following we're, week. We're not done yet. We're not <laughs> so, done yet. We're not done get, yet. Don't get too excited. Uh, Cincinnati, you're not ready for the big boy leagues. That's a that's a win for OSU. Same. I've, I've got it chalked up as a win. Uh, Bedlam the following week, November 4th. Well, I was in Norman uh, for the most recent Bedlam. And as we all know, it was one of the most epic tail tucked performances in the first half you'll ever see from Mike Gundy. And I sat there in the freezing cold surrounded by Sooner fans. One of whom was nice enough to take me to the game. Thank you, Josh Wolverton. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Lovely family. I had a great time. Uh, 
I sat there and I said, I am never, and I mean ever, 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 even going to think about picking Oklahoma State to win Bedlam. It's the last one. That place is going to be, I don't even know how to contextualize what that stadium, the venom that's going to be coming from that stadium in the last Bedlam we're going to see probably in our lifetime. But I, I can't pick OSU to win that game because their head coach doesn't try to win the game. So I can't I can't do it. Um, yeah, we're as familiar with Gundy's law as we are with Newton's law at this point. Anything that can go wrong in Bedlam will go wrong in Bedlam. We've just seen it too many times. Um, I, re- I so hope I'm wrong about this one. It, especially, be- Colby. I've got OSU 8-0. Yeah. How, how tight? How, <laughs> how tight is Mike Gundy going to coach that game being 8-0? He might bring he's, the Cowboy back back. He's going to be so tight, he squeaks when he walks. That's how tight he's going to be on game day. If he shows up there, ain't no. So I, I can't do it. Prove me wrong, my gunny. Come out, guns blazing. All right, eight and one for me. Yeah, I'm going uh, seven and two. I'll, I'll take Oklahoma to win that game in Stillwater. It pains me, uh, but that's what Bedlam has been most of my lifetime is pain. So let's. Uh, we might as well stay consistent. Hey, right. Now. It's the last one. You don't. You don't have to hurt anymore, Colby. You don't have to uh, hurt anymore. I'm so ready to not see that logo whenever I pull the schedule up next year, November 11th in. Orlando, College Football Central, Orlando, Florida, UCF. Uh, what do you think? See, and you know what happens in November? The games get a little bit harder to win, especially when you're on the road. OSU loses this game at Orlando. It's going to be their friggin' Super Bowl. They're in the Big 12, probably a night game. Just those November road games, Colby, no matter who you're playing, are hard to win. I think UCF's got a lot of talent. I mean, Gus Malzahn's, I think, doing a a decent job there. We'll have to see how they do adjusting to the Big 12, much like TCU and West Virginia did. But they're not – OSU's not winning 11 games. uh, So I I, I have them losing in Orlando. Uh, I've got Bedlam hangover. You go down there. I think UCF is a a good program. I think that they'll have a decent football team. and we've seen in the past, Carson, as much as we just looked at those depth charts and we liked what we saw in some of the depth, we've just seen Oklahoma State get worn down, and Novembers have been tough. So I, I think it's very tempting to sit here, um, look at these schools. Your, your final three games of the season and four of your last five are against the newcomers to the conference. So I think it'd be very easy to sit here and say, oh, yeah, Oklahoma State will beat all the newcomers. I don't think it's that simple. November's been tough. Uh, I don't know how those schools are going to handle their first season in a power five conference with their depth and their injuries, but we've seen it with Oklahoma state and the bedlam hangover, I think is very real too. So uh, I'll take a loss in Orlando as well. The following week on the road again, Carson, you go to Houston to see our good friend, Dana. What do you think about that one? Yeah. Good old Dana. I just, Houston doesn't scare me, buddy. I just, I, I think Dana's, He's kind of run his course. He's a little he's a little past his prime. The the mullets, the skullet is kind of turning into just the skull. And I just Houston's just not on Oklahoma State's level. I mean, they could they're gonna have athletes on the outside, but it just I think the programs are just in very, very different places. And Houston, who knows? They they're gonna be buoyed by the Big Twelve and they're gonna they're gonna improve having been in a big a power five conference now. But this year ain't it. I, I got OSU winning. Uh, I do as well. I, I'm maybe a little more bullish on this team than I thought. I thought I was going to be eight and four. I've already got them sitting at eight and three going in the final week of the season. And I don't think they lose to BYU at home, depending on where you look. 
Uh, I've seen BYU's win total for the season anywhere between five and six games. I, I think last week of the season, a, a full long season in the new conference, I think Oklahoma State wins that game at home. So I, I thought I was going to be at eight and four. And as we work through here, uh, I think I'm at nine and three. So I think I'm I'm at the the upper echelon of what I think Oklahoma State can achieve this year. Oh, she wins ten and two. Oh, buddy! Trip to the Big Twelve title game. Oh, Alan Bowman! I hope you're that guy. <laughs> I hope you're that as, guy. As I say this, I wish I had picked them to lose Kansas State so I could say nine and three. But I, I got a little, I got a little caught up in the moment. I mean, we're sitting here with nine and ten, Carson. I. <laughs> if if any, if any non-Oklahoma State fans are listening to this pod, they're calling us homers. But you and know, look like, yeah, like probably so. I, if I could go back and do it over, I'd probably say nine and three. But again, I just this is probably Colby me overcorrecting. There's the sheer lack of respect. You know, six and a half win total from Vegas. No one's even talking about OSU as if they're still a football program. I, maybe I'm just swinging too far the other way. And look. I, I'd like to formally say state they're going to nine. They're going nine and three. <laughs> I got a little caught up. I'll, I'll go nine and three is my official prediction. I I don't think they're losing to Kansas State though. I think they're probably going to slip up in a place we don't expect. Be it a South Alabama, Cincinnati, uh, Houston, maybe I don't know. But I I I'm more aligned with you personally at nine and three than I am ten and two. That was just kind of yeah. a fun exercise. And for me, part of it is the schedule. Like, look at some of the teams that Oklahoma State has had absolute knockdown, dragout battles with over the years in the Big 12. Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, Texas even. Oklahoma State's had a lot of success against Texas, but you don't beat them every year, and they're supposed to be good this year. You don't see any of those four schools from the state of Texas. You miss all of them, and you get all four of the newcomers who are coming from a lower level and having to play a full season against bigger better, faster, stronger competition, and you get all four of them late. Four of your last five are against the newcomers. So for me, I think a lot of it is about schedule. If you swapped the four newcomers with Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, and uh, the other one I said, Texas. Yeah, I almost forgot about the Longhorns. If you swapped the four newcomers for those four, I don't think I'd be sitting here saying nine and three. I think it's a very good schedule for Oklahoma State. Yeah, if if you even so much as just swap the home games against the Kansas schools for me, I'm chalking up at least one more loss, if not two. Um, you know, swap, um, you know, swap the Iowa State road game with you know, I don't know, OU on the road. I mean, I, I think I got a much better chance beating OU and Stillwater than I do in Norman. But you know what I mean? I I'm with you. I, that's a great point. That avoiding all the Texas schools to me was huge. This schedule is manageable. 10 wins is not crazy. Now, do I have a little buyer's remorse predicting that? Yeah, I'll, I'll go 9-3 and three for the record, but it's not completely unfathomable with the skill talent they have, with the talent they have on defense. Like, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, Colby. But I'm, I'm – let me state this again. I am bullish on OSU this year. And, Colby, just – we give Mike so much grief for punting on fourth and short, for kicking field goals. But you know what he does? He finds ways to win tight games that aren't against Oklahoma. And I think a lot of these games are going to be close. And if I'm picking between Mike Gundy and Matt Campbell in a close game, I'm picking Mike Gundy. I'm picking Mike Gundy against every other coach on the schedule in close game because he's done it. He's proven it at this level. So I just... There's a lot going for OSU that I don't think a lot of people see. And we'll have, I mean, they'll have to go prove it. If Alan Bowman gets hurt game one, 
Garrett Rangel starts the rest of the year. I mean, all bets are off. But and that's another thing, Colby, too. OSU's had some absolutely you know what luck with the injury bug at the quarterback position. I mean, is Mason Rudolph the last quarterback to play the entire year? I mean, did, did Spencer I mean Spencer didn't play all last year. Did he play the entire year when they went to the Fiesta Bowl? That that might be it. Um I don't think he did. Did he sit out? I think he missed a game somewhere in there with an ankle or something. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head now. Um, you might be right, but yeah, but, Oklahoma State's had Oklahoma State's had quarterbacks miss games seemingly every year. I think Corn Dog did Corn Dog miss any games? I don't think he did. God, no, he didn't. No, Corn Dog played all twelve. Yeah, he you was know out. what happened? He graduated. He didn't get to play the next year, and Spencer Sanders hadn't played at all, which was like my entire argument. People are still tweeting Corn Dog stat things at me. Would that get you? Got you seven wins and a zero experience at the quarterback position the next year. Congratulations. Uh, anything else, Colby? You ready for bullets and BBs? I am so ready for bullets and BBs. You have first for me. I'll go for it. What's your bullet? I mean, it's a little later in the week whenever we're able to record because I was out of the country, but I got to show my man some love. I didn't even get to watch it because I was, uh, I was out on a mountain somewhere. Victor Hovland, my guy, back 928 to win the BMW championship. Course record 61 at Olympia Fields. He zooms past the number one player in the world. Uh, I did watch the highlights. It looks like he was just absolutely dialed, throwing dart after dart after dart on Sunday. I'm just, I'm so beyond impressed with Victor Hovland. He finally got the lid off the jar at the Memorial for winning in the U.S. He he had not won a professional event in the U.S. in his career, uh, the continental United States, that is, in his career, until the Memorial of this year. He's now won a second one, and he's got a chance to win a third one this week. We're recording this Thursday night. Scotty Scheffler stumbled today. Victor Hovland is tied for the lead at the Tour Championship uh, through one round with Keegan Bradley and Colin Morikawa. Rory with a bad back is lurking. Scotty's lurking. Uh, Ricky even is, is five back of the leaders. But Victor Hovland, I, I think he's prepared to just go to another stratosphere with his game. And, and, and that ascension has already started. He's undoubtedly one of the ten best players on the planet, and it's he's just he's a joy to watch. That was as good as the game of golf can possibly be. A 28 on that course, which was extremely difficult. I mean, he he reached a level that pro golfers dream about. Like that's that's how perfect his his round was. I mean, it was incredible. And uh, I'm not looking forward to rooting against him in the Ryder Cup, but I mean, Victor's Victor's got a chance. I mean, he's he's already a top five player in the world. He he's got a chance to become, you know, legit Hall of Famer. And it, the the thing that sticks out to me about him, every video you watch, every interview you you hear about, he is like a grinder. I mean, he he is dedicated. He was on the range first, I think, the very next day, uh, wherever the hell that tournament was, the BMW. Like people were like, Victor just shot sixty one and won like four million dollars. He's out on the range, like sweating, like just pounding balls, like you don't shoot that 61 without putting in the work. And and I've always Colby, like, I'm sure you, you were the same as a kid. Every coach you ever had would share stories about Michael Jordan, you know, showing up early to practice before anybody got there and putting in all the work. And they always just stress to you, like putting in the work when no one else is like goes a long way. And I think Victor's a really shining example of that because he always had the talent. I mean, he won the USAM. He was an unbelievable college golfer. But there's levels to this game, and he was determined to get to the level he's at now, and I think that work has really, has really paid off for him. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and he's so much fun. He's always smiling. I just how can you not root for Victor Hovland? Love Vic. My bullet goes to the man who cannot miss. The man who saved the Big 12. The man who is now dunking all over the University of Texas and Oklahoma for that matter. It is the man with the biggest cojones this side of the Mississippi. It's Brett Yormark, who not only has made Bob Bowlesby and Dan Beebe before him look like just petulant little do-nothing children, he comes out in front of the people at, at Texas Tech and basically calls on Joey McGuire and says, I'm going to be in Austin when y'all play. And you better beat them like you did last year in Lubbock. I mean, and, and the best part about this, Colby, is all these Longhorn fans and Sooner fans are all up in arms. He He's the commissioner of the conference. He can't say that. Hey, guess what? You're not a member of the conference anymore. You're playing a Big 12 schedule this year, but you're not in the league. So, yeah, he wants you guys to go 0-12, which I, don't, I still don't understand, Colby. Why didn't he give OU a harder schedule? That's neither here nor there. Shout out to Brett Yormark saying what we're all thinking, saying what's the truth, because he doesn't want OU in Texas to win. He wants them to get the heck out of here. I loved it. I, I just, oh, Brett Yormark is a godsend. We we're so lucky to have him. Uh, yes, love Brett Yormark. That was awesome. And uh, my only question is, did he get penalized 15 yards for insulting the Texas fan base? Because I'm pretty sure that's the standard we've set now. Isn't that great? We don't have to have the Texas Longhorns ruling against horns down. We don't have to have the Texas Longhorns and the Sooner fans, or really their universities, getting on the paddle people for having the audacity to make noise while the opposing offense is on the field. All that's gone. All that political jargon coming out of Norman and Austin and running this conference is over. That. As much as it hurt the Big 12 TV revenue-wise, it helped with this nonsense of those two schools, you know, just running the conference and, and everyone kowtowing to them. Those days are over, Colby. Everyone's on, everyone's on even footing. And I think that's going to make the conference stronger as a whole as far as their togetherness and not having to worry about crap like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm very much looking forward to the new look Big 12. Uh, my BB... Carson, today is the two-year anniversary of something specific. Just out of curiosity, do you have any guesses what I'm about to get into? Two-year anniversary. Um, I have no idea. Just before the college football season. Today is the two-year anniversary of the alliance between the <laughs> ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. It's the two-year anniversary of when those three conferences came together and said, we've got your back. No, man, we've got your back. No, we've got both your backs. And all the time, they were sharpening the blade to stick in those very same backs as uh, the Big Ten decimated the Pac-12 long before the Big 12 did by taking USC and UCLA. The ACC is in limbo now trying to add SMU, Cal, and Stanford um, because, yeah, that's that's very, very Atlantic Coastal of them. It's just I saw that come across today, and I actually made a note with a pen on a sheet of paper, old school, BB, the Alliance, two-year anniversary. It's just looking back on it, 
And, and when those conferences came together, it was like, oh, my gosh, everybody else working together. The Big 12 is so screwed. Nope. Pac-12 had their noses in the air, and uh, now they're in the dirt. So, yeah, the Alliance, two-year anniversary. You you get the BB, Pac-12. It's a great handshake deal they had there, you know. Good good job by all. <laughs> oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, speaking of the Big Ten, do you see this Jim Harbaugh is, like, issuing his own suspension, three games, blah, blah, blah. Do you see all this? Um, Yeah, the NCAA suspension just, like, didn't stick. It's... Yeah, it's a weird deal. Well, it brought back to light, and I'd already tweeted about this. I watched the the Johnny Manziel, I wouldn't even call it a documentary. It was more of a PR piece run by him. There was very little in there um, that was negative. But um, I just tweeted, you know, in, in the documentary, he, he admits to selling his autograph for hundreds of thousands of dollars, jet setting, going to clubs. He got suspended a half of a football game against a scrub team. And then you have Des Bryant, who literally did nothing wrong. Didn't break a rule. He had some old white suits come at him and accuse him of stuff. And he got scared and lied and said, I didn't hang out with Deion because he was scared. Well, Mike Gundy commented on that. Um, he commented on it because this Jim Harbaugh story came to light. And uh, Gundy said, quote, nowadays he could have flipped it around, filed a suit against them, and won in court for what they did to him. It's just it's one of the bigger travesties in the history of the NCAA. And that's a big, that's a big statement to make. But Des Bryant had just come off a 21 touchdown season. was on the cover of sports illustrated was a legitimate Heisman contender and was suspended the rest of the year for nine games. And it's just, it's a complete joke. You've got Harbaugh deciding how many games he's going to sit. And you've got Johnny Manziel accepting thousands of dollars and doing nothing, no punishment at all. It's just, I can't get away from what a crime that was. It was a crime in the moment. It's a crime now. And it just, it, gets, it looks even worse as time goes on. It is truly one of the greatest injustices in the history of collegiate athletics. Um, didn't break a rule. But le- levied, break a rule. levied by the NCAA against an individual player. Obviously there've been worse thing, ha- worse things happen. Penn state Baylor. Yes. There've been worse things happen. Michigan state. There've been far worse things happen. I'm talking about an instance in where the NCAA levied a punishment against an individual. This was one of the greatest injustices in the history of the NCAA. Um, it, it gets brought up and we talk about it about once a year, which is about the right amount of time. Cause you don't want to dwell on it because man, 15 years later, it'll still make you angry, but you don't want to let it die and forget about it either because Des was wronged. And I mean, that, that has to still hurt him because that season was going to be special and he had it ripped away from him. So um, yeah, that was a good one. And I'm, I'm glad Mike Gundy commented on it. I'm going to make you even more mad. This is from uh, Barry Trammell wrote an article about it. I I believe he was the one that asked uh, Mike Gundy about uh, the Harbaugh stuff. This is what Barry wrote. Bryant and OSU appealed the penalty. The appeal was denied on November 5th, 2009. And in an act of incredible arrogance, the NCAA said it was showing leniency to Bryant, considering it could have permanently stripped him of his eligibility. The NCAA often has quite the lack of self-awareness. Not only... Did they basically commit a crime of just robbing this kid of his future? They they acted as if Des Bryant should shake their hand and thank them. Like slap on the wrist. That that's 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 who we're dealing with here. Also, they knew good and damn well that Des Bryant was going to the NFL after that. Of season. course, that's just. Uh, now I'm mad. I right? had a great podcast. Well, now I'm pod. mad. How about this, real quick, before we get out of here, a couple of quick notes. Uh, Coleman Scott is coming back to Oklahoma State wrestling. 
He's coming back to be the associate head coach uh, after it was announced on Monday that Zach Esposito is moving on um, to coach with Team USA. So um, Coleman Scott has been at North Carolina. He's been the head coach out there for eight years. He's now coming back to Oklahoma State to be the associate head coach. So leaving the head coach role to come be the associate head coach. So hope that he does great things in Stillwater and wish Zach Esposito the best. He's been Stillwater for about two decades. He's headed on to work with Team USA. So I wish we could have some more time getting into that. Uh, One of our most loyal listeners, Ryan, he's been tweeting at me since my franchise days, five, six years. um, and, And he wanted us to get into that. Didn't have a ton of time to get into it, but at least wanted to make note of those changes for wrestling because that's that's a big change after a long time uh with a guy being in Stillwater. yeah head head coach in waiting head coach it feels that way doesn't it it feels that way uh yeah i, I kind of think so i mean i i'm not privy bird and stuff but but yeah that's that's certainly what it looks like on the surface but uh coleman scott's a great guy uh Oh, I lost my microphone. You got me now? Oh, uh, yeah, I've got you. You, you, you only cut for just a second. Te- technical difficulties there. But, yeah, Coleman Scott's gone out on his own. This is what you like to see sometimes, Colby. So guys getting away from Stillwater, going to be the man somewhere else. And it, it really is a great way to groom yourself to be the, to be the head coach. And um, maybe he'll be that eventually. John Smith's not retired yet, but um, it seems as if they've got a great succession plan for whenever that day comes. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Carson, great stuff. It's good to be back. I am geeked for the start of football season. We are almost there. Are you holding me to 10 and 2, or can I go 9 and 3? Uh, I'm not going to hold you to it. I, I'll, I will let you retract and come back to 9 and 3 um, if, if you want to come back down to earth a little bit. All right. Well, when they when they go 7 and 5, we will have to burn the archives. <laughs> or if Mike Gundy's punting on on 4th and 1 from the, from the you know 10-yard line, we'll have to burn the tapes. Yep, if they go seven and five, this uh, season preview will mysteriously cease to exist in your feeds. Yeah, for sure. Well, Colby, it's been fun, and uh, we'll probably get back to two pods a week once the uh, season kicks off. I can't wait, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely can't wait. Going to have some football to talk about. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, go Pokes!